So she wasn't even in here where there's nothing. She was in Richmond. <laughs> I forgot my suitcase. Oh, well. So anyway, there's always something, always something that we forget. One of the things I forgot as well was, my, was some allergy medicine. Spring is here, baby, right? Anybody else dealing with the springtime thing? Yeah, ooh, allergy. You feel like you're sick. You feel like you have a cold and you're not sure if it's an allergy or, right? Yeah, so uh, mm -hmm, a lot of that going on. And I love spring though, it's beautiful, it's green, everything's blooming, it's a, it's a beautiful time of year. If you know me though, I like Christmas. I love Christmas, I don't even mind the cold because I haven't been cold for about five years. I stay pretty warm. So, you know, it's really not a bother to me if it's cold outside. Um, but one of the things I love at Christmas time, and it's the only time I do it, is I like to do jigsaw puzzles. I like to do Christmas time puzzles. And um, I haven't really heard too much about springtime puzzling, but in the, in the, in the wintertime, I don't know, it's because we're all holed up and right inside. Anybody else do jigsaw puzzles? I try to stick to about 500 pieces because I know I'll finish that. And I want to set myself up for success. And if I grab a thousand piece, I mean, I might get it done, but maybe not. So I stick with 500. Um, how long do you think the longest puzzle, you know, or largest puzzle would take to do? Costco sells a $600 puzzle that is 29 by eight feet, 29 feet by eight feet, 60,000 pieces. <laughs> I don't think so. That is not a Christmas time activity. That is a lifelong activity, wouldn't you say? It takes, yeah, what room are you gonna put it in? Oh, that's my puzzle room. That's my, I have two bedrooms and a puzzle room. Yeah, that's how it would have to be. But that would take a lot of commitment. That would take an understanding that this is gonna be for the long haul. Right? This is a thing that I'm going to have to choose to abide in for a very, very long time. How do you like that segue? Right? Got you. But this is the concept of abiding, a long haul, continuous action. It is not a one-time thing. Now I'm in Christ. I'm all good. Nope. We have to continue to remain in his presence, to remain close to him. It is the idea that the result of closeness to Jesus Christ is worth the effort. It's worth what it might cost me to abide in him. Because Jesus talks about the cost to follow him. He even says, count the cost, doesn't he? He says, if you're going to come after me, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to deny yourself and come after me. Take up your cross and come after me. So there's always going to be a cost there. We don't always think about that when things are hard. We don't realize, oh, the benefit of knowing Jesus better. That is worth going through this thing or letting go of that thing for the sake of being closer to Jesus. Because by its very nature of scooting closer to him, we are moving away from something else, aren't we? I mean, you can't be scooting in one direction without going the opposite of the other way. And this is a lifelong pursuit. And if you are young or if you are old in this room, somewhere in between, 
I want you to just reconcile. This is a lifelong pursuit. This is an abiding lifestyle. It's not going to happen at one time, all of a sudden, now I'm here and I don't have to maintain this anymore. It's just like any other good relationship, any other thing that is worthy, it has to be maintained. Have you ever noticed that even your household needs to be maintained? Right? It's not going to stay that way. It is not going to stay clean. I can clean that house and have it so nice. And I love to, anyone else like to vacuum? I like to vacuum. I think it's very satisfying. I have all the, right? Oh, yeah. Nice and straight and clean. I'm like, don't walk on it, you know. Oh, no. I don't want to ruin it. I even, like, back myself into the corner so I can, it's not, you know. And then once you start, it's like, oh, well, kind of ruined, you know. But it doesn't stay that way. And you know what? Our spiritual life is the same way. It has to be maintained. Because of the world that we live in, because of our flesh, we're going to get into some other stuff as well. But um, I'm, I want to go ahead and um, read some more from John 15 again, and then we'll have a word of prayer and get into our study this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. Because of the word which I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture. We thank you, Jesus, that you left this sermon recorded for us, that we might learn from it, benefit from it, and walk in it, Lord. We long to be those abiding, close disciples, Lord. We want to be close to your heart. So I pray, Lord, this morning that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us and move among us. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the word abide is a pretty important word. Um, the definition of it is to remain, to stay, to maintain, and to continue. Some, have you ever heard... Uh, People say, I can't abide that, can't abide that, right? I can't continue with that, I can't allow that, right? I can't continue. This word means to remain, to stay, to continue. 
That is the definition of this word. Um, I think it's a pretty important word because it's been used several times. 11 times it's mentioned in this chapter. 40 times it's written in the Gospel of John elsewhere. And 27 times in the epistles. I would say that the Lord's trying to make a point. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Now, sometimes it's translated continue. Sometimes it's translated abide. Sometimes it's translated maintain. But the picture is the same. He's like, I want you to continue in this thing. It's an important word. And Jesus knew that we would be prone to wander. So in this sermon, which is a week before his death, he says, abide in me. And if you don't, you're not going to bear fruit. You need to stay close to me. This is the word. It's to stay. It's to remain. I want us to think about the closeness of a trunk and a branch. How close is that? I mean, you can't really tell where one ends and the other begins, can you? Because there is so much closeness between the two. It's like they, the two. They are one. And we talked last night about how Christ has... Um, connected us to himself. He's attached us to himself. We've come into this glorious relationship with him and how now the, the father is the vine dresser and he comes along and he tends to us and he prunes what needs to go. We talked about how he prunes the diseased and the dead and the, um, the dirty and the ugly and he does that that we might be clean and that we might bear fruit right? He does that for our benefit. So now the Lord is like, okay, now this is your part in this story. And our part is to remain. And I mentioned last night about how every, um, every type has a limitation, right? I mean, we talked about how the branch can't take, get off of the tree. Um, but we can, we can remove ourselves from the things of God. And we've all watched it happen. I'm sure we've all been the one to do it at times where we decided, mm, I don't think I want to act like a Christian here. I think I'm afraid of what they might think or I think it's you know, going to jeopardize my job or whatever it might be, the relationship. I'm, not, I'm going to hide Christ. Um, not to change the allegory or to change the picture, but hide it under a bushel, right? That kind of thing. But we can do that as, as believers because the Lord brings us into a loving relationship. He's like, abide. Did he say abide in my judgments? Did he say abide? You know, he didn't. He's, he does talk about obedience, and we'll get to that later tonight. But he's like, I want a warm relationship with you. I'm bidding you to just stay here and remain in my love. I love uh, the Passover feast when Jesus goes, do this so that you can remember me. I want you to remember me. And he wants us to abide in his love that we might have fruitfulness. We might have joy. We might have benefit from knowing him. He is worth it. So I want us to think about closeness and relationship just as a vine and a branch connect one to another. I remember with my children when they were little ones and, and toddlers, how I would just pick them up and I would put their cheek, little, I love the little chubby cheeks, and I would just put their little cheek right here and I would just hold it, their cheek next to mine. I just wanted that closeness, you know, and I would hold it and after a few seconds they'd start going. <laughs> and I'm like, no, stay right here. I just love you so much. I think, I think that's the Lord going, I want you close. I want you really, really close to me. And you need to stay there. Don't fight to get away from the Lord, but just that sense of closeness to him. 
So as we look this morning, we're gonna talk about how to, um, uh, the title of the study is The Necessity and Benefit of Abiding. I know a lot of us like titles, I like titles. I like to know where we're going, what we're doing, and I, so I try hard to, to do that. So the Father is the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branch. And our part in this scenario is to abide in a close relationship. And I'm gonna start off by saying, this is a choice and a decision. I mean, I mean, that sounds like a no-brainer, but we will decide daily, maybe moment by moment sometimes, whether we are going to stay close to the Lord or whether we're not. Whether we are going to abide close to him or whether we're not. I cannot wait for my emotions to catch up. I cannot wait for my hormones to be in line. I have to make the decision, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what's happening, to walk in a close friendship with Jesus. It is something that we choose to do. I can't wait for my feelings to lead me there. I have to decide every day whether I will abide in him or not. This is a gentle instruction and command from the Lord, and it's a twofold command. And the first part is it's warm, it's friendly, it's loving, it's I want you to abide in my love. We'll get to the second part of that twofold in a little few minutes. But the first part is he wants us to stay close. And our faith is about relationship. God never forces his way into our life, does he? He just waits. He's just there every morning saying, come, 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 stay close to me. Do those things that are going to keep you close to him. It's about that relationship, and it's about knowing his loving character. We are just singing, I'm after your heart. Lord, look at what you've done, who you are. Show us your glory. And the glory found is found in the love of Christ for us. This Savior who is saying, stay with me, remain with me. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine just saying that to your friend, maybe to your husband, maybe to your child? Stay with me. Have you ever said that because you were scared or, and you didn't want to be alone? Can you just stay with me? Sometimes just having somebody with you makes all of the difference. And Jesus doesn't need us, so it's not like he's like, oh, I'm afraid to stay with me. But the point is, I want you. I want you to be near to me. I have sacrificed everything for you to be able to come close. So stay near to me. It's the best place for you and me to be, is close to the side and the heart of the Lord There's not a lot of this kind of remaining and staying and continuing in our society, right? I mean, there is a whole lot of moving around. There's a whole lot of leaving. There's a whole lot of leaving jobs, leaving churches, leaving friendships, leaving marriages, leaving homes. There's, there's a lot of different things. I mean, we can't even, I can't even concentrate on one thing on Instagram. I'm slip, flipping on to the next thing. I think we train ourselves sometimes to have very little attention span. Um, and so it causes us to be flitters. And I want to tell you, the Lord wants us to be sitters. <laughs> he wants us to sit in his presence. He wants us to stay in his presence. He wants us to benefit from all of his wisdom, all of his love, all of his direction and instruction for our lives. He's like, everything that you need, again, it's found in him. It's found when that branch is connected to that vine and when that branch chooses to remove itself 
It's a dangerous position to be in. But it is an abiding, loving relationship that he bids us into. The abiding is our need, um, expressing our need to maintain a vital connection to the Lord. It involves the word of God. It involves prayer. It involves genuine Christian fellowship. And it involves obeying him because we love him. So the first thing that I want to talk about of that, that we abide in is abiding in the word of God, making the word of God central and keeping it there. Psalm 25.5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word do I hope. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 27, 4 says, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. First Chronicles 16.10 says, Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Being close to the Lord is so good for us, and we need the word of God. We need to sit in his presence and wait on the Lord. We need to look and trust his scriptures that they still mean what they meant when they were written. And they still should impact our lives today as they did years ago when we first read them. When I, I, when I got saved, I remember coming to church because I was so excited I found a new verse. And you know what that verse was? John 3.16. <laughs> All my friends who had known the Lord were like... Duh. And I remember finding Isaiah 40, 31. Oh my gosh, if you wait on the Lord, he's going to renew you. And they're like, yes, they are. Yes, he is. You know, um, But it needs to have that kind of impact. And I don't just mean emotional response. I mean impact on my life of still knowing that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We have moved away from that. We want to add to that. I, I I'm, hmm. <laughs> No, I have to be good. I, I don't want to overstate. But I think we tend to add on to the power of God unto salvation in somebody's life. We underestimate the counsel of the word of God. Because we want to go all these other places. Instead of going, but what does the word of God say to you? As a believer, do you know what it says? If you don't, let's find out together. But do we value this? When the word of God is taught and brought forth, or when you're reading it, or you hear it on the radio, are you letting it impact your life? Or are you going, yeah, that's a nice word. But does it have the authority in your life and mind that it should have? Does it have the authority? It should. It should because it is, it is sufficient for all things and it is authoritative in our lives. And if we do not stay there, We've moved away from the Lord because he values his word above his name. He said, none of this is going to go away. It's going to last. It's going to be eternal, right? Not one jot, not one tittle, not one dotting of the eye, nothing. Nothing's changing. It's staying. But we go, oh, 
That's a nice, it's a nice, it's, a, it's an idea I'll take into consideration. We, um, we like to say, oh, it's in the hopper, right? You know what a hopper is, right? It's like a funnel. It's like they put the coffee in the hopper and then it funnels in and then they, that's just one example of a hopper. There's lots of other things. But basically it's just thrown in with all the other stuff and whatever comes out, comes out. Uh-uh, no. This is not part of the wisdom. This is the wisdom. This is not part of the direction for your life and mine. It is the direction for your life and mine. And when we undermine it and discount it and undervalue it, we're the ones that miss out. And so do the ones around us because this is the power of God unto salvation. This is the instruction that we need. This is where the strength is found. This is where we will um, be encouraged. This is where we will be instructed and we will not lack any good thing. So the word of God, we have to remain in the word of God. Sometimes maybe we can come in and go, oh, we're going to go through verse by verse, and here we are again. I don't know. We come in sometimes, it's just rote. And rote is not bad because habits are good. Good habits are good. Let's say that. Good habits are good. But it's the power of the word of God in our lives, letting, knowing this is Holy Spirit written. This is God's word. God sat down and wrote this book, if you want to say, right? He inspired this book for us, and so we need to continue to abide in it and not get tired of it if we've heard that study before. Oh, I've been to 10 abide retreats. I've been to, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're going to study. If it's the word of God, it's worthy. So um, remain there. Continue in the word of God. Don't think that that magic book that somebody's handing you is going to change your life. You know, Troy says that to me all the time. Here, here's your coffee. Oh, thanks, honey. He's like, yeah, it's going to change your life. He says it all the time. That's going to change your life. If I do this, it's going to change your life. I'm like, okay. So if somebody hands you, somebody hands you a book that's not the word of God and says it's going to change your life, maybe not. <laughs> Take that with a grain of salt. Is it filled with scripture? Okay. That's a good testimony. That can have such a great place. I love that. I love autobiographies. I love good Christian books. Don't get me wrong. But when we're looking to navigate our lives and it's not from the word of God, there's a problem there. And we've moved away from who we should be in Christ Jesus. And I think if we want to, to um, distill everything down uh, to what is a really simple way of looking at abiding, it's a really simple verse that you all know of, and you've heard my husband teach many, many times and share, and you could probably quote it. But it is not there. <laughs> Acts 2. Oh, yeah. Turn the page. There you go. It is Acts 2.42. It's what the disciples were doing. And they continued steadfastly in what? Steadfastly. Steadfastly. They abided in. They continued in what? What were they continuing in? The apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. They were keeping the main thing the main thing. They were keeping their walk with the Lord Jesus simple. Simple. And again, we want to complicate it so many times. We want to add in so many things. And the Lord is like, I just want you to abide in my love. Don't you love that he didn't give you like a whole list of things? I want you to abide in all 47 of these things. I can't really do that. I'm lucky if I can abide in one, Lord. And so he's like, okay, good. I'm just going to give you two. And I'm going to give you the power to do it. But he's like, I want you to remain. And we need to abide and remain in the word of God, recognizing that it is truth for our lives. So we sit and we abide in prayer, secondly. We wait quietly, sitting in the presence of the Lord with the word of God and asking the Lord in an attitude of prayer, Lord, these are the things that are going on. Pouring out our heart, allowing him to pour out his heart. Do we wait long enough? 
for the Lord to respond to our prayers. Many times I don't. I'm like, okay, Lord, here's the list of to-dos. This is what you got to do, Lord. Here you go. Here you go. Here, I'm giving it all to you. And the Lord's like, uh, I have wisdom for you. I have a, an answer for that. I want to move there, but I, I'm, I'm gone too fast. I don't have that chance. Waiting quietly, sitting still, enduring. It's an uncommon life in our culture. And I understand it's not an easy thing. It doesn't just come automatically, especially to some of us. Some of our personalities are not the sitters, right? We're, we're the doers. We're the get up. We're the go. We're the come on. Let's come on. Move, move. But the Lord would say, but I need you to grow in that. I want you to grow in that because this is what he wants from us. We are often rushing about like Martha. The older I get, the more I, th- I used to think I was more like, oh, yeah, I'm like Mary. I'm the Mary. I think I'm the Mary in the scenario. <laughs> and then the older I get, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little more like Martha than I thought. And Martha had good points, too, but Martha allowed her good points to overshadow what was necessary, right? So we wait quietly in the presence of the Lord, and this has to be cultivated. It's not an automatic thing. You're not going to be able to sit for two hours in the presence of the Lord with your Bible and prayer and seeking the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you right away. That has to be cultivated. So if you're sitting there going, ah, it's not me. It's so hard for me to sit longer than 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it might be, right? Five. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. You're just going, that's just not me. It, it, you need to, it'll grow. You will grow. You will get used to sitting and being quiet and waiting on the Lord when you make the decision to do so. And I want to tell you, add five minutes to it every month. It doesn't even have to be every week. Don't go, oh gosh, every week I have to add 10 more, and then I'll be at this long thing and I don't have time for that. Don't go there. Just go, Lord, I, I just want to be in your presence and I want to cultivate the quiet and the sitting, and taking the time to allow you, Lord, to minister to me whatever's in your heart. So we wait quietly. Spurgeon said this, if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, and not just wait for something like an answer, but wait on him, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and endears the blessing when it comes. We shall not grow weary of waiting upon God if we remember how graciously he once waited for us. We wait for him because he's worthy of being waited on, of being sat in front of and sought and 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 consulted and waited on, that is the key, is when we remember who it is that says, I want you to abide with me, stay with me. And I love the fact that he said it trains submission, because I know there are a lot of you who garden and do have amazing things, and you know, and I know a little bit, because I had parents who had green thumbs. Mine's maybe lime green if I'm lucky. It's definitely not dark green. but I have kept three plants alive for two years. I'm improving. Those of you who know me, I've killed so many things. Um, So, but I love the way that he says it trains submission because you know you train a vine, right? You take it when it's really little and you put it into the trellis just so that it will grow the way you want it to grow, 
right? You take it and you put it in a specific place so that it will grow into and follow up the trellis, right? You see these beautiful trellises with all these lovely flowers? They didn't just grow that way. Sometimes vines do, but they will find the trellis. But they, they're most of the time when it's been planned, and you live in a planned garden, right? The Lord doesn't, you're not a wild vine, right? We talked about. So the Lord comes along and goes, I'm going to train you, and I want to take this little tendril, and I want to put it here. And he's like, so I, I want you to wait. And that's going to teach you, and you're going to grow, and you're going to see glorious things. So we abide in the Lord. We abide in his presence. We abide in his word, and we abide in prayer. Guys, we abide in devotion. Sometimes we used to always call them quiet times. Nobody calls them quiet times anymore, huh? It's always devos. Devos. Makes me think of devo. The, <laughs> that's a child of the 80s thing. Half of you are going, what is devo? It's a, it's a band. It's an, it's an ungodly van. But that's what goes through my mind. We can cut that out of the tape if we need to. But, but that's what it makes me think of when someone goes, I'm going to do my devos. I'm like, we are not men. We are devo. And I'm like, oh, no. Rebecca, train. Train your brain. Get it on the godly trellis. Take it off of the ugly thing. But, but quiet times. I like the way. I like, and of course, I understand devotion is huge. I mean, that's, a, of course, devotion. That's what we're talking about. But quiet times. Times where I am not speaking Times where I am not receiving anything into my brain other than what the Spirit of the Lord wants to speak to me. Through the Word of God, through just sitting there and being and knowing Him, knowing Him. Have you ever, you, 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 know, you know friends for a while, you've, you've gotten close to somebody, and then all of a sudden they come up with, oh yeah, when I was you know, seven, this thing happened. And you're like, I didn't know that. You know, there's always things that happen, and you're like, oh, I've known you forever, and I never knew that. Um, I think it's like that about the Lord. Lord, I never knew that about your character before. Lord, I knew it a little bit, but I didn't know it a lot, and we get to know him. It's not just a checking off of a box. It is a, Lord, I'm sitting with you. And even if it's a five-minute, 10-minute, 20-minute, I don't know, thing, it's him. It's him that we're abiding with. We're not just sitting with a book. We're, we're seeking him. So we have to cultivate this life, and I want to encourage you to do that. And if you want tips on that, I'm sure we can talk, maybe in our table, talk about that. Um, what that looks like. But so we're abiding in the Lord. So what does it look like? I think we have a really good picture uh, here in one of my favorite Psalms that I have actually already uh, mentioned in the Women's Bible Study a couple of times because the Lord brought me to it at the beginning of the year, and I keep going back to it and back to it and back to it, and it is Psalm 1. This is a picture of abiding, you guys. If you go, well, what does it really look like? This is it. I'm going to read it. Blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law she meditates day and night. She shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever she does shall prosper. Does that look like an abiding, fruitful life right there? So what is it that she's doing? She's, it's just as much about what she's not doing as what she is doing. It starts off in the negative. She's not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. She's not standing in the path of the sinners, and she's not sitting in the seat of the scornful. But by contrast, she is meditating on the word of the Lord and delighting in the law of the Lord. She's finding her delight there. She's finding her preference there. She's choosing not to do those things 
and she's choosing to do these. This is what a life looks like that is abiding in Christ, that is looking to the Lord. And look at it. She brings forth fruit. She's planted by the river. She, her leaf does not wither, and whatever she does prospers. That's a picture right there to me of an abiding life. She's blessed, and you know that word blessed means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy is the woman that is doing these things, and by you know, contrast, not doing those things. She's not walking, standing, or sitting in the ungodly. She's delighting and meditating on the word of the Lord. And she's prospering. She's green. She's fruitful. She's alive and healthy. If we want to find all the good plans that God has for our lives, we must remain close to him. We can't allow distractions, compromise, or other things to pull us away from abiding in the love of God. One of the benefits that's mentioned in, mentioned in John 15 is the fact that prayers will be answered and fruitfulness will come. And there will also be joy. Who doesn't want those three things? Don't you want your prayers to be answered? I wonder if sometimes we've moved so far away from the Lord that, that maybe we've even just stopped praying or our prayers are only consumed with ourselves. Therefore, the Lord's going... I'm the vine dresser, and if I answer that, then that's going to cause bacteria in you. You know, if I answer that, if that thing is a yes in your life, it's not going to be good for you. So I'm not going to answer that. Because when we are close to the Lord and we are seeking him, his desires become our desires. The things that he wants are the things that we start to want. And then we're praying along the lines of what we know God wants to do. And then, of course, the Lord's like, yes, I want that. When you have issues with your children, when you have issues with your coworkers, when you have issues with roommates or husbands, you can just go, what does the Lord want? What would glorify him? Lord, what does your scripture say? What is in your heart for this thing? And as I'm in his presence, I start having a heart for the ones that I had more like teeth for. You know, it's like, you're, you're on my last nerve. Um, but when I'm in the presence of the Lord, I have his love for other people. I'm able to then pray according to his will and go, Lord, okay, what is it that you want to do here in this thing? And so our prayers are answered because our prayers are right in line with what he wants to do. And it's always the best place. So, his, so prayers get answered. Our joy is received. Or his joy is received. Um, we receive his joy. Blah. Um, and that joy is full, because that's what his desire is. We have the joy. We also have the purpose. We get the fruit that comes in our lives that glorifies him. When the believer welcomes the word of God into their lives, the great work of Psalm 19, I'm not going to read the whole, um, I'm just going to read the benefits Converting the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, and warning the servant. The word of God has many, many benefits to our lives. So what does the, the fruit look like? What kind of fruit are we talking about? The first one is Romans 1.13. We bear fruit when we minister to other believers. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now 
this is Paul writing, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He wants fruit for his ministry to come from them. So when he's serving them, there's going to be fruit that comes to his account. Secondly, we bear fruit when we partake in evangelism. John 4.35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. We bear fruit when we give of our resources, Philippians 4. For uh, 4.16, for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And obviously, probably the, you guys are such well-taught students of the word of God. When I said fruit, you immediately thought of Galatians, didn't you? Now you're thinking, when's she going to get to that? All right, we're going to just read it here right now. Make you all happy. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. These are the things that we're talking about when we're talking about fruit. We're talking about um, ministering to other believers. We're talking about evangelism. We're talking about giving of our resources. We're talking about Christian service. These types of heart things, these types of, um, boy, fruit that comes. I mean, I don't know about you, but long-suffering doesn't come naturally to me. Does it come naturally to you? Oh, I'm good at suffering. I can, I can just wait. I'm super patient, and I don't mind if you kick me around for month after month. I'm, I'm good at that. No, 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 no. That does not come natural to me. When I'm when I'm in that kind of situation, it's just kind of like, oh, no, uh-oh, nope, mm, you know. But the fruit of the Spirit, of being in the presence of the Lord, are those things. And it glorifies the Lord. And, you know, even praise from our lips glorifies the Lord, um, which, of course, we do in worship all the time, which I love and we're going to be doing when we get to heaven. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, yeah, that's not at all what I was looking for. So I wrote down the wrong. <laughs> oh, it's 15. That's what it is. <laughs> Sorry. Therefore, yeah, good, good verse. Just not at all what we're talking about. Okay. Sorry. 13.15 of Hebrews. It says, Therefore, by Christ... Let us continually offer, continually, again, it's our word, continually. Let us abide in, let us maintain, let us continue, let us not stop, right? Continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. If you're not used to singing out loud because you don't like your voice or whatever reason you might have, you better get used to it because... It's going gonna, it's gonna to come, and it doesn't just come in song. Of course, it can just come in speaking out praise to the Lord. But the fruit of our lips, what's coming out of our mouths. And, you know, when my mom um, got sick, many of you know my mom got sick with what they called a neurological event. That's about as specific as they could get. Um, they said that it was stroke-like, 
Um, but it was not a stroke that they could find. Multiple MRIs, five millimeters all the way, couldn't find a stroke. But when she got sick, um, she was bedridden for about three and a half-ish years before she passed away, almost four. And it was really hard. And it was a difficult time. She wasn't an easy person at this point. She was struggling, dealing with a lot. Um, they were, you know, 11 hours drive away in Tennessee. Um, it was the hard thing. I didn't live there like my sister did. Her heart is a lot harder than my heart. But it was difficult to try to get there, to try to help, to try to contribute, to try to serve, to try to do whatever I needed to do. It was hard to watch, hard to go through that. And some of you have been through that and much worse and much longer, I understand. But I know the Lord spoke to my heart because so many of you were so awesome. You were like, how's your mom? How's your mom? How's your mom doing? How's your mom? I mean, I couldn't almost come to church without getting asked how my mom was, which was lovely and wonderful, and I was so blessed by that. It made me do this. Um, she's okay. She's doing okay. So um, let's talk about you, <laughs> you know, because I knew I was just going to be a puddle on the ground, you know. But after a while, when that trial kept going, and because our prayer was, Lord, will you just take her home? Will you just take her home, Lord? And, and that sound can sound kind of mean-spirited, but it really wasn't. It was, Lord, let her just go be with you where she'll be able to walk and talk and stand and, you know, all of that. Anyway, but one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart was, be really careful about how you speak about this trial. Be really careful that you don't just go, wah, wah, hard, painful, I don't like it, it's hard for me, it's difficult. Not that we cannot be real and honest with people, but to be really careful that I didn't allow myself to slip from being honest of going, yeah, it's a hard thing, it's a difficult thing, to going into, oh, woe is me, why is this happening, how can this continue, blah, 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 blah. We all know the, that rail that we get off on, right? The Lord goes, I want you to stay right here because I have purposes for everything. And I am good, and I do nothing but good. And what we say, the fruit of our lips, when we're especially in trial, anytime, anytime, but especially in trial, that shows people who our Christ is. And are we showing and speaking like he's good, and he's faithful, and he's helping me, and it's hard, but he's with me, and his promises are true, and he's giving me what I need to suffer long in that situation, because I don't have it on my own. And I would have to go out there in obedience because I knew it was the right thing regularly and go. But the Lord was like, you be really careful what comes out of your mouth because you are a reflection of who I am. And I did not want to be found maligning the name of Christ or making it seem like he was not sufficient from my need because he is sufficient for every need. And I know that there are needs in this room. There's needs in my life. There's needs in yours. And he's sufficient for all of those things. But let's not allow our lips to say anything that might disparage the name of Christ. Speak of your need. Of course, we're to bear one another's burdens. And I cannot bear your burden if you don't share it with me. But let's not slip into that, that other place of self-pity and bitterness and frustration and anger and the why, because taking us in down that road leads us away from the who, right? We're so concerned with the why and how long and what, instead of just going, Lord, you know, 
I'm just going to keep my eyes on you and I'm going to let my, but that was a, a real clear word from the Lord was like, you just need to be really careful because of the kindness of so many people. It would have been easy to go, oh, and if I did that to you, I apologize, but I didn't mean to, didn't want to be like, oh, it's hard and oh, you know, I just, I, you know, oh, poor me, don't feel sorry for me. You know, I didn't want to do that. So the fruit of our lips should be to the glory of the Lord. And that is fruit. That is fruit because, you know, um, I know some of the things that come out of our mouths at times, we, we need to be really careful. We pray, Lord, have a guard. Would you put a guard on my mouth? Lord, I think that this part of me, my branch <laughs> can be a little sassy. And I don't think that that glorifies you, Lord. I don't think that's godly fruit right there. <laughs> I think that's fruit from the sarcastic gene I inherited that I'm blaming on my parents or whoever else. I inherited it, Lord. It's just, it's, I can't help that. You know? no, the Lord goes, no, because you've been born again. That's not who you are anymore. So anyway, we need to be careful with our mouths of what's happening and moving closer to the Lord Jesus. So I said it was twofold. And so the second part of this is of course the first, it's a warm relationship, it's a bidding to come, it's a, it's a remain with me, stay with me. It makes me think of when Jesus went to the garden, remember with his disciples, and he got um, the three disciples and said, hey, come with me. He's like, stay with me, pray with me. And unfortunately, they fell asleep, right? But I feel like I see that heart of the Lord. Can you just be with me? I want you to stay with me. And so there's that part. But the second part of that, that this is both an instruction and it's also a warning. It, this is a big-time warning for us because it's the safest place, as we've mentioned, to be in the presence of the Lord. You know, I've told this story before because it's a good one. You guys know where Lancaster Galleries is in Lynchburg, right, where Fort turns into Memorial and it's on the left-hand side. There is a sidewalk, but there is no curb. So when you walk out of, of Lancaster, which is right on the street, you can walk I mean, it's a tiny little sidewalk. You can walk right into the street and not really realize it because there isn't a curb. And so we were there one time years ago with our children. We have three, and Tyler is the oldest, and he was at the time, I don't know, maybe he was six or something like that. And we had the other two kind of in our hand and in our you know, arms. And we walk out, and before we walk out, Troy says to Tyler, abide. He goes, stay with me, remain with me, stay right here by me, because he knew the danger outside that door. And he was like, I want, you need to stay right here by me. Don't forget, you guys, you need to stay right by me, he tells Tyler. So we walk out there, and what does Tyler do? <laughs> he chose not to abide next to his dad, and he almost got hit. I mean, like, it was as close as it could possibly be. We walked out. We're kind of walking this way to go left, and Tyler comes and kind of flanks us this way. And, I mean, I'm talking a huge vehicle coming this way at a speed, and Troy just yanks him back by his shirt collar. I mean, literally just yanked him back because he didn't obey. He didn't walk in abiding and staying close where he knew it was going to be safe. Now, the Lord doesn't just say abide because it's safe, I don't mean just physically, but you know what? The Lord knows what's through that next door in your life. He knows what's going to happen in your life. He knows what people are going to do. We don't. Sometimes we're so surprised by what people do, but the Lord goes, you know what, it's going to be so good for you if you just stay near to me, because I know the things that are going to happen in life, and not that, oh, we should be worried all the time, but life brings storms, doesn't it? Life brings hard things. People do things that are hard, circumstances get difficult, 
there's a lot of things that we need to be close to the Lord in because we need his protection and we need his wisdom. The Lord never warns us needlessly. He says, build the ark now, Noah. <laughs> Not raining yet, build it now. He says, don't eat from that tree, Adam. He says, don't count the men, David. He says, don't disrespect spiritual authority, Miriam. He said, don't stay home, David. Life brings storms, and we live in a fallen world. And apart from Jesus is a fruitless, lifeless, sad existence. The world, the flesh, the enemy, they're trying to pull us away from Jesus every day. We have to make the choice, the decision to say, Lord, you are worth it. My life will be fruitful and full of joy when I'm in your presence, not when I'm somewhere else. So I want to remain in your word. I want to remain in your presence. I want to remain in prayer. That's why I said the other day that, yesterday, that it's not passive. <laughs> Ephesians 6.13 references the evil day. It goes, you need to stand because an evil days come. We need to remain in the presence of the Lord because hard times are going to come. And he goes, you're going to need to know this. So stay here so I can instruct you so that when that happens that you don't know about yet, you're going to have what you need. When I was going through that difficulty with my mom, I remember I sent out a text to my family and said, I'm sandbagging my life with scripture. I'm in a foxhole, and I am sandbagging my life with scripture. I need us to put a bunch of scripture, send me scripture all the, daily I was getting. And I was like, yes, I was just preparing myself for how things were going to go down in, in the situation. And I think that's wisdom, because, you know, wisdom is needed beforehand, we're running, oh no, what are the instructions? It's kind of like when maybe your refrigerator you know, blows up or your, your laundry, your um, washing machine isn't working. You haven't studied the manual beforehand, but if you had, you'd probably know, you just have to reset it, right? Kind of like a reboot thing. But we in our spiritual lives, more importantly, we need the wisdom in advance. And the Lord goes, I have it for you. If you just abide with me, I'm gonna give you what you need for tomorrow. I'm going to give you all that you need, the strength, the wisdom, the instruction, the, the path. So we're going to close with three examples of biblical um, characters, um, two positive and one negative. The first one is Daniel. Daniel had a habit of opening his curtains at home and praying to the God of Israel three times a day. Well, that didn't sit too well with the political enemies of the day. And in Daniel chapter 6, we see um, that they take it to the next level. And um, Daniel um, is faced with the decision of how, what he's going to do. A decree had been signed to outlaw praying or petitioning anybody except for the king, right? And we know that that was politically motivated. They were trying to get Daniel out, right? But what was Daniel's custom? We read it in Daniel chapter 6, and I'm going to read that to us um, just real quickly. I thought I had it marked, but I don't have it marked. And I don't know why I'm not finding Daniel. Where are you, Daniel? Do you ever do that? Is there Nehemiah Chronicles? No, see, it's not back there. I thought I had you marked. I don't. Here we go. 
Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Isaiah. Oh my gosh, where did, oh, there he is. Okay. <laughs> Hiding from me, it's a new Bible, that's my excuse, but it's true. Okay, so um, Daniel chapter six, Daniel had a practice in his life of abiding. And even when this threat came, he was so consistent and had maintained this practice in his life that even when that threat came, because it says here in verse 10, now when Daniel knew what the writing was, uh, that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. This is what Daniel had been doing daily, over and over. Now, I like to think that Daniel's not perfect. There may have been some early days where it was twice. Maybe he started out once. But for a very long time, this is what he did three times a day. That was his custom. And so no matter the threat, he knew what he needed to do. And that was remain close to the Lord. He, he knew the threat was real. The decree was signed. It wasn't a rumor. It wasn't an idea that somebody had. It wasn't somebody speaking about what could happen. It had happened. The decree was signed. And he's like, well, time for me to go home and pray, though. Not, what does the decree say? You're not allowed to pray. Oh, well, it's time for me to go home and pray, though. I mean, that is who he was. There was not fear. It was his practice. He was abiding in it. He maintained it. It was his custom. He had a practice. And because he did, we have one of the best stories of deliverance ever. I mean, how glorious is that? What if Daniel had decided not to do that? We wouldn't have that story. We wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to be in heaven going, yeah, thrown in the lion's den. But God delivered me. And what a witness it was to this whole whole palace and the whole kingdom, right? So because he prayed, did it mean that the trial didn't come? It didn't mean that. It just meant that Daniel was prepared for it. And the Lord was like, I am with you in it. He delivered him from the mouth of the lions. It's a glorious, beautiful deliverance. Daniel was abiding. Daniel was maintaining. He was staying where he was supposed to be. And, he, and God honored Daniel's abiding and his obedience by going, oh yeah, watch this. Watch this. This is my guy. And I'm maintaining him. I am attending to him. And even if he gets thrown in, that's fine. Beautiful story, but he maintained even in the midst of that threat. Secondly, Joseph, he remained faithful to the Lord and to abide even under very extreme circumstances. Very extreme. His brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. He was wrongly accused and imprisoned and then forgotten by the butler, the guy that he had interpreted his dream, and it had come true just as he had said. He said, don't forget me, tell him about me. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll tell him. He gets forgotten, stays in jail longer, not even supposed to be there. But his faith in the Lord remained intact, even in this trouble. It's a beautiful story, and really it goes all the way from Genesis 37 to 35, which we will not read all the way through. However, we will have the climax in Genesis chapter 45, when the, the brothers finally come to him, and he has been raised up again. Um, he, he doesn't know why he's there all these years, and then finally his brothers come, and he's in this position to help them, to give them food because there's a famine in the land. But these are the brothers that sold him, the ones that lied to their father that, oh, yeah, a wild animal got him. 
These are liars, they're murderers, they're haters and jealous. And so, but he says, but in verse 5 of chapter 45, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor, har plow plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all the house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And then he says, hurry up and go get my father. So sweet. But Joseph goes, all these things that have happened, all this stuff, I haven't forgotten my God. I am remaining with him. My faith in him is intact, and I know that he's sovereign. His theology was affecting his response to his circumstances. And he knew what the Bible taught him. I mean, he didn't have the whole Bible that we have, but he knew who God was. And he trusted that even in this, I'm still going to be his. I still belong to him. It doesn't matter if I can explain why all of that happened for years. But finally, at the end, he's able to go, this is for a great deliverance. God had a much bigger picture in mind than what, what we would think. He was, he, we, don't, we get lost in the minutia, right? Do we ever? Do you? I do. I get lost in the little why and the what and the how and the how come and then this and the that and the well, what about that and what if? And the Lord's going, I have such a bigger picture for you, Rebecca. You can't see it right now, but you're going to see it one day. And this is the day for, for him. And what love and grace to show to his brothers. He says, oh, don't grieve because you did this. I'd be like, yeah, you can grieve and cry a little bit if you want. You can, you can show me a little more about how, how, how bad you feel about what you did to me and look what God's done. And you know, I mean, that would be us. Well, that'd be me. I won't say that y'all are better than I am. I would be the one going, yeah, right. You know, but he doesn't do that. He points to the Lord and goes, God is sovereign and he's allowed even this. And if he's allowed it, he has a reason for it. And now I can see what that reason is. He's like, it's for you. It's for the fact that I can provide for my family and I can be in this position to help. I'm there by the Lord's um, decree, not by man's decree. That's faith. That's abiding in what he knew to be true of who the Lord was. The last one is a negative example, and I've already mentioned it. Good old David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. So you'd be like, oh, that's awesome. David's, David, it's, it's time for battle. But David just goes, y'all go. And then there's this victory, and they're having victory. And you're like, oh, great, if it, if it stopped right there. But it says, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? In other words, isn't he your friend's wife? <laughs> then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. 
And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. I, I'm not going to continue because my point is that in the first four verses, David was not where he was supposed to be. When we are not where we are supposed to be, which is near the heart of God, which is in his word, which is close to him, we are vulnerable for tragedy and pain and hardship. Sin. His sin is going to find him out, but the point is he was not where he was supposed to be. He should have been on the battlefield doing what kings do, leading his army with his generals and you know, having victory and seeking to um, protect his people, but he wasn't. He was in the easy place at home. He took the route that, that of ease. Now the battle's going to get fought, right? The battle got fought. They still had victory because God is still with Israel. But David was in a vulnerable position because he didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. And you know what? The work of God is going to get done because God is faithful. But if you and I step back and stay home from where we know we're supposed to be, then we're vulnerable to sin. We're vulnerable to be wandering around our house and seeing something we ought not to do and then engaging in it. We risk a lot when we step away from Christ, even just a little. We risk a lot when we're comfortable with some space between us and Jesus because we're vulnerable there because we're not where we're supposed to be. It's not the safe place. It's not the place of strength and the place of comfort. It's, it's the place of the enemy going, oh, good, there's just a tiny little sliver there. I can, I can work with that. I can get in there. I can just, I can just, he can just, let's just go outside, David, walk around, and oh, there's that beautiful woman. Oh, David, isn't she pretty? You should go get her. I mean, if he wasn't there, that story never happens. There's no child <laughs> conceived that ends up passing away. There's no pain, there's no stain on David's reputation and God's. There's no sense of, of that at all if he had just been where he was supposed to be. Ladies, we need as Christian women to be close to the Lord because you know what? We have an enemy and he does not play fair. He doesn't care, as Troy just said the other day, he doesn't care if you're having fun. His job, his desire is to rob and kill and destroy. And I have never been killed. I have never been destroyed, but I have certainly been robbed. And that's the minimum. I have been robbed of joy. Have you? Have you been robbed of joy? Have you been robbed of the sense of pur purpose and the sense of, of why I'm here and what I'm doing and does it matter? Have you, have you been robbed of, of um, I don't know, just whatever's in your own heart and life? I don't want to maybe speak that it's your life but if that's the, that's the minimum of what he wants to do but he would love it if you and I walked around without joy he would love it if we walked around not super close to the Lord because he knows he can't change your salvation but he knows he can make you kind of miserable in it he wants to rob you of that rob you of the the fervor and the desire to serve him the desire for your friends to know Jesus your family to know him he would love it if you were just walking around your house not where you were supposed to be, not serving. 
not, not loving those around you, not fervent for the things of the Lord, not involved in Christian service or, or fellowship of the saints. He would love that. But, you know, that's the minimum is to rob you. He would really love to kill and destroy you or me. So we can't give him a place. He has enough place in the world. He has no place in the life of a Christian. But when we move ourselves away from the Lord, because maybe he, there's a little bobble over here that looks really pretty, and we think, oh, I want to go and look at that thing. The Lord's going, no, I, I, you should stay here. You need to remain here. It's safer here. We're not allowing a foothold for the enemy to come in. We risk so much when we are apart from the Lord. And there's so much safety and so much grace for us when we remain close to him. Because, again, he knows when that evil day is going to come. And he's like, you need to be prepared for this. You need to be strengthened for this because this is going to happen. So those are examples. So we say, yeah, I want that, but I fall short so much. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> we all do. We all fall short. We all go, well, my plan was to be like Daniel and pray three times a day, but I've only gotten one. That's a start, isn't it? We get back up and we cultivate it. We start again. So how do I ensure that I'm going to make it to the end, that I will stay close to Jesus my whole life and hear well done? Because isn't that the goal? The goal is to finish the puzzle, the 66,000-piece puzzle that is your life and mine. We are to do that and abide in it continually. And you know, the thing is, it stays with that Acts 2.42. And the Bible tells us in Timothy, the Lord gives us again another warning. He's like, watch out, because in the last days, people are just going to want their ears tickled. They're going to go, I'm, I'm sick of this book. I mean, I hate saying that because that sounds, <gasps> I hate, ooh, makes me sound like, oh boy. But that's what is happening in the last days. I'm tired of, of what I know. I know this and I know that to be true. I know these things. Okay, well, then you need to dig a little deeper. You know, there's an old song from the 80s, Christian song. It says, if you're looking for the river of life, you got to dig a little deeper. You know, sometimes we've dug our trench and the Lord keeps filling it. And then sometimes he goes, I want you to grow. So I need you to dig a little bit deeper. And we're like, well, this always worked for me, Lord. These 15 minutes of my devotions have been great. And the Lord goes, yeah, but I want more of you. And I want you to have more of me. So let's increase it to 20 minutes. Let's increase it a little bit longer because I'm not going to give you that word that you know is from me unless you tarry a little bit longer. Sometimes the Lord goes, I want you to just keep digging because I want you to trust me in faith that I am going to fill that trench. Keep digging, trusting him, knowing that, Lord, I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing for a really long time. I got saved at 14 years old. I am now 56. Six, 56. That's a lot of years of reading the same book, studying the same book, having devotions, trying to keep devotions consistent through the seasons of life. But you know what? The answer still hasn't changed. This is still the answer to what I need in my life. No matter if I'm a teenager, if I'm in college, if I'm a newlywed, if I'm working, if I'm home, if I have babies, if I'm an empty nester, wherever we are, this is still the answer. Christ staying attached to him is still the best and most wonderful place to be. It's in his presence. So may the Lord just draw our hearts closer to him. If there's space that needs to be changed, that we need to scoot back over to Jesus and scoot away from that thing that's dangerous for us, 
then may we obey and do that today. Because you know what? This is an eternal reward. This isn't something that we're just doing so that we can get through our day. This is not just I want to maintain and be okay for my life. This is I'm going to be in the presence of the king. I'm going to, be, I'm going to see him face to face. You know, the Bible says that we see right now in a glass dimly. Like it's kind of dark. We don't really know exactly how that's all going to be. We have a lot of revelation, but we don't have all of it. We haven't seen with our eyes, but one day we will. So you keep abiding You keep staying close to the Lord. You keep trusting in his word and his Holy Spirit. And you do those things that Acts 2.42 tell us to do. And Hebrews 10.35, I'll close with this. It says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. That is our hope. That is why we can continue to abide because we know it is true and sure that that promise is going to be fulfilled one day. That promise of being in the presence of the Lord. It's real. It's true. It's going to happen. And so we are part in this scenario. We're not the vine. We're not the vine dresser. We're the branch. So our part is to abide in him. Jude puts it like this. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you are so long-suffering with us. Lord, I pray that if there is space between us and you, that, Lord, it has been corrected even during this time, that our hearts have been turned back to you, Remembering that, Lord, all that, all that the branch needs is found in the vine. Lord, you're so good because you bid us come. You bid us to come into your love, a loving relationship. And, Lord, you also bid us as a warning to come because, Lord, the evil day comes. And we're going to need you. We're going to need to have ears that can hear what the Spirit says in our situations, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this reminder, this warning to abide in the safe place, close to you, our defender, our advocate, our savior. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.